0: Our scripture today is from John 4, verses 39 through 54. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him yeah, Believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. For when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. The father knew that that was the hour when jesus had said to him your son will live and he himself believed in all his household this was now the second sign that jesus did when he had come from judea to galilee the word of the lord be to God. let us pray now through the preaching of your word Let your light and life shine on us today, Lord. Give Andrew the wisdom to communicate your word so that our eyes will see and our hearts will be renewed. Let us take your word into our week, Lord, that it may continue to feed us. In your name, amen.
1: I'm guessing that some of you caught the Super Bowl last week. Cultural reference here: Tom Brady, Michigan man, cements his place as the greatest of all time. But there were also the commercials, right? And uh, for for many people, the commercials are are what they tune in for. They want to see uh, all these different things. There are some that are very uh, heartwarming. You know the 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 commercial with the Paralympic swimmer, Uh, just the the dedication and love that her parents showed was was really moving. Uh, There's a lot of humor in these commercials, but it's interesting how the humor also has a uh, insightful tone to it. Like a couple of my my favorites were the uh, the lemons. I, I think it was. Uh, I'm not even sure what they were advertising, but uh, uh, a lemon of a year, and you know all of these lemons just raining down, ruining all these things. It ends up with a a bride and uh, and a bridegroom underneath the table at their wedding while it's raining lemons. And uh, of course, it, it was humorous the way they portrayed it. But there was also something real about that. As we we come come out of 2020 into 2021, many of us feel that, man, that was a real lemon in terms of our life. Uh, Or there was Flat McConaughey, you know, Matthew McConaughey. This time he actually had a shirt on, uh, so that was good. But he was feeling flat and uh, kind of in a flat Stanley sort of way. Yeah, he just was navigating life, and you couldn't see him. He was getting blown about by the wind, and uh, finally, he is able to. He comes to some Doritos. Like, how how am I going to feel fulfilled again? And he slips inside the vending machine because he's flat, and and it's the three D Dorito. As he pulls this thing out and, and chomps on it, this is what brings life back to him, and he, he begins to uh, re, you know, unflat himself, uh, whatever the proper term is from that, until, you know, he's inside the vending machine, and now he can't get out. Um, we're all feeling a little bit that way. I think that's what these, uh, these advertisers are trying to say. It's been a lemon of a year. We, we feel flat. We don't feel ourselves. But where do we look for answers? Is it into the lemonade hard seltzer? Is it into a 3D Dorito? You know, what is it that, that we are looking for in terms of answers? And I think this text reminds us that the answer has always been and will always be Jesus, who is the Savior of the world. We, we see that the early portions of what I printed for you this morning, really want to focus on verses 46 to 54, but just for context, we see that uh, as Jesus is interacting with the town in Samaria in chapter 4 of John, uh, the Samaritans are believing Him. And this is really an amazing little couple verses here. Here you see the unadulterated acceptance of Jesus, really unlike anything He received in, in all of His earthly ministry. I mean, people are coming, they're believing, they're inviting Him to stay, all of these different things. And then they confess that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world, verse 39. Interestingly, John is the only one that uses that particular construct of words, Savior of the world. He uses it also in the epistle, 1 John chapter 4. It was in your passage or in your liturgy as the, uh, the moment of, of meditation. You see there, he also says Jesus is the Savior of the world. It's the idea that's in John 3, 16, and 17. And this, of course, ties in so nicely with our missions conference. We want to understand in a world that feels like it's been given a lemon on so many different levels, not just the year 2020, in a world where people feel flat and are looking for uh, a, a proper sort of inflation, you know, we want to know what is the answer. And of course, it comes as Jesus being the Savior of the world. I want to walk us through, like I said, verses 46 to 54, Jesus' interaction with uh, this royal official and, uh, and just observe how it is that Jesus fulfills this statement. And, and let's just start there. Jesus is the Savior uh, of the world for all people in all cultures. You see the connections here. One of the reasons why we see 46 to 54 is you see the bookends, verse 46, Jesus came to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. This was now the second sign, verse 54, that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Uh, These bookends sort of identify this as a pericope as a section of Scripture to be looked at as as a whole. And uh, we look at it in context and we realize that going back to that first sign when Jesus turned the water into wine, uh, you remember that at that time, we said about that sign that that sign was pointing to Jesus as being the Messiah who was going to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah 55, where the mountains would drip with new wine and it would be a feast for all peoples. Uh, That's what these signs are about. They're not just miracles. They're not just this bald display of power, but rather they're pointing us in a direction. And and John is very careful to to lay this out. Like these miracles, they're, they're not just something that is awesome in that In that way of thinking. But they're pointing us. They're pointing us to truths about who Jesus is and what he came to do. That he is the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. He's the one that will inaugurate uh, this great messianic feast that will be for all peoples. And we see that throughout the prophets. The prophets talk about uh, people streaming from every tribe and nation uh, to Jerusalem to partake of this feast. We, uh, Revelation ends with the sort of the fulfillment of that, with all the kings of the earth bringing their treasures into the kingdom. This is what we proclaim. This is the gospel that we had. Remember last week we talked about how while Jesus is the only door, uh, and, and you can only come into the kingdom through Jesus through the person of Jesus, it it is the most inclusive door that we could imagine. You know, Jesus invites all types of people. And we really see that with this sort of sequence that we have here in in John chapter 3 and 4. Uh, think about the interactions that he has. Uh, in John chapter 3, he interacts with Nicodemus, who is a, a Jew, uh, ethnically, by birth. Uh, he's also a high-up Jew. He's a teacher of the law. He holds a place on the Sanhedrin. Uh, and, and Jesus is interacting with him, and he's inviting him into the kingdom. You must be born again. And, and, and Nicodemus is wrestling with this. So then in chapter 4, Uh, Jesus walks through Samaria. We know that the Samaritans were the outcasts of the day. We know that uh, the Samaritans were sort of Jewish half-breeds that were not very well thought of at all by the Jewish people. But Jesus stops, and He interacts not only with a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman uh, in terms of just how things rolled out in terms of gender equity and role and all of those different things in that day. Jesus is signaling, Feeling so clearly, that this gospel is for everyone, whether you are a, a high ranking Jewish religious official or whether you are a Samaritan woman, I'm taking time with you. I'm, I'm interacting with you. I'm engaging. I'm inviting you into the story. And now here, at the end of John chapter 4, we see that Jesus interacts with a basilikos, uh, a, a royal official. Many of your translations have that. Here, it's just translated as official. But almost certainly, this is a Gentile, uh, probably a member of Herod's court, uh, a person of influence. He's from Capernaum, which is a town that is twenty miles away. Uh, but Jesus takes time and he engages with him, and as we'll see, he invites this man and, by extension, his whole family, uh, to put his tr- put their trust in Jesus and to find out, indeed, that he is the Savior of the world. So. Again, Nicodemus, a Samaritan woman, this basilicos, this royal official, whoever you are, you know, no matter what your background is, whether you are accepted in society, whether you have resources, whether you are an outcast of society, whether you uh, have no resources, Jesus is the Savior for all people and all cultures. And this is what we are reminding ourselves of in this missions conference, that, that there is no one people that has a corner on the truth. There is no one ethnicity. There is no… Uh, there is no… there is nothing sort of… Um, parochial about who Jesus is and about what his mission is. This is a mission for the whole world. So we see the Kowachis in France and we say hallelujah because Jesus is for the French people. We we see uh, our brothers and sisters in Japan and we say hallelujah because Jesus is for the Japanese uh, who have such a sense of identity and culture. Jesus is for them. Jesus is for our brothers and sisters in Africa and Peru and all over the world, Uh, there is nobody that Jesus is not the Savior of the world for. Secondly, as we walk through this text, uh, I think it's important to recognize the the challenges that we face as humans, uh, no matter who we are, where we are from, all of that, they, they are common challenges. These are challenges that are common to humanity. Uh, and the first thing, I'll, I'll mention two here, the first thing is that we live in what the church father Origen called a, a world of tears. Uh, we we see that with this man, right? So there are a couple of things that just in the Greek, when you when you read them, you get a deeper sense maybe of what's going on here. Here this man comes, he hears about Jesus, which again is such an interesting thing, like Word about Jesus spread. That's the missionary movement, right? We spread word about Jesus. And it probably wasn't like an organized mission. It wasn't a program. It was just people talking about this one who came and turned the water into wine. And word spread like 20 miles away to Capernaum about this guy that came and turned the water into wine. And it was on the basis of that, of that rumor, that word of mouth, that, that this man makes the Journey and, and comes in the midst of his heartbreak. Uh, he says, My, my boy, and the, the Greek translation could be my, my little boy. My little boy, the one that I love, is at the point of death. And it says he asked Jesus. Uh, it's a persistent, ongoing asking, uh, asking in terms of the verb tense. Uh, it could be properly translated, He, he begged Jesus. Will you come down and will you heal my little boy? And this is the world that we live in. It's, it's a world of tears. It's a world where uh, the people that we love die. Uh, It's a world where uh, we see brokenness all around us. It's a world where we battle our own infirmities. We ourselves grow old. We ourselves uh, die. It's a world where um, people are cruel to one another, Uh, whether it is a racial insensitivity, or whether it's the horrible things that we have heard this week that have come out with Ravi Zacharias, and, and our heart goes out to all those victims, and, and we think about that. We, we live in a world of tears. There is so much brokenness. You know, the lemons descend. We feel flat. Uh, there is so much brokenness in this world. Where do we go with that brokenness? Who can properly meet us in this moment. And, and we love this man because he he goes to Jesus. He he recognizes, and, and he's probably exhausted every other possibility. I mean, he, he was a man of means, part of Herod's court. And we know from other encounters that Jesus had that people would often, you know, exhaust other means, and then it was only at the last resort that people go to Jesus. Jesus. And some of this, you know, speaks into our hearts. Like, Are we going to Jesus first? Are we recognizing that He is the solution to our greatest needs? Right now, again, there's so much in our culture right now. You read the statistics on alcoholism and and just how that has increased as people are looking for answers. You read the statistics on suicide uh, and, and how that has increased among at this time. And I'm not speaking of older people here. I'm speaking of younger people and and the despair and the desperation that we feel. I read this article uh, recently about moms and and how they are struggling in this moment, trying to keep it all together for their families. Uh, She says this. She says, it's been eight years since I had my last panic attack. But in December, after the anticipation of Advent, the buzz of Christmas, I felt my heart rate speed up. I can't point to any sort of trigger, but I recognized my disengagement from life around me. And some of you may really relate to this. Um, I, I recognized my nausea, my rapid breathing. We were packing to go to a small cabin for a few days, and I had to stop. I warned my husband what was going on, and then I sat in my closet crying. My heart was racing so fast that my Apple Watch congratulated me for completing my exercise goals. The only thing that I can remember thinking was that I was a terrible mom, over and over. To be honest, I was kind of surprised that I lasted nine months without an anxiety attack. On top of the fear, anxiety, and dread, the pressure built within me to be a super mom, parenting just seemed to require more, a need to be more involved, more engaged, more present. But adding on the stress of safety, health, the awkward conversations about who we could see, where we could go, navigating the different levels of comfort without, uh, with gathering, parenting has become a constant state of anxiety the desire to be everything for my children. I think it became just too much at that moment. A breakdown requires us to admit that we can't keep up with the rhythm and the pace that is set for us, that we cannot do it all. I believe that many of us are closer to that breaking point during this pandemic. We live in a world of tears, one that necessitates we find something. You know, where are we looking? Is it, is it a 3D Dorito? Is it, is it the lemon seltzer? What are we looking for? Is it Escape? Is it relationships? I know it's Valentine's Day today, uh, and It can be a tough day. I mean, it can be a day of celebration. It can also be a tough day when, when we feel the emptiness maybe of lost relationships or not having a relationship. But all of this world of tears is teaching us to go to Jesus it's teaching us that He alone can meet us where, where we are, uh, where we have the most need. I, I love what uh, this, this woman says about our tendency. She says, even in the midst of arguably the greatest mental health crisis of our times, we're still trying to achieve our way out of it, to crush it, quarantine style. There are just certain things when we come to grips with the world that we live in that we cannot find a substitute for Jesus. You can't achieve your way out of it. You can't can't turn to the lemon seltzer or the 3D Dorito. It is only in Jesus that we find the answers. That's one of the things that's common to us in terms of our humanity. The second thing is interesting and it's a little bit more obscure, but the second challenge that we have is actually hearts that really desire the right thing. You can begin to get a sense of that in Jesus' interaction with him. Uh, this man hears about Jesus, he, he comes, uh, he asks him to come with him, heal a son for he is at the point of death. So Jesus says to him, and this is a little stark in 48. Jesus says, unless you see the signs and wonders, you will not believe. Right, that doesn't seem very kind, very gentle. Well, a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, it's, it's a plural you. So Jesus, you know, this man comes to him and says, will you come heal my son? Jesus stands and he looks at the crowds. He's not speaking only and specifically to this man, uh, he, this man. He speaks to the crowds and he says, unless you all, he's southern here, unless you all hear, uh, unless you see the signs, you will not believe. What is Jesus referring to? Well, he's referring to this tendency of the human heart to desire the, the solution or to desire the things that we can see rather than desiring the source. You you remember, and again, going back to John chapter 2, and there's a big connection between John 2, John 4, John 6. These are the sign chapters. In John chapter 2, Jesus uh, was at the Passover feast in Jerusalem, and it says, Many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about, uh, about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And, and then in, Ver- in chapter 6, uh, Jesus answered them, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Jesus being the bread of life. He says, truly are you, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, But because you ate your fill of the loaves, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Here's what Jesus is saying in chapter 2, and chapter 4, and chapter 6. He's saying our hearts, our hearts uh, often latch on to the the solution or the, the, the thing that we can see rather than the source, the gift instead of the giver, right? And, and Jesus wants us to go deeper. He wants us to not just want what he can do for us, but to want him. And, and, and this is what he begins to peel away in this man's heart, he begins to peel away this desire to be satisfied with something uh, surfacy rather than going deep. I, I, I love going to Mexican restaurants. Um, I, I love Mexican food. My challenge is to uh, moderate the number of chips that I eat beforehand uh, so that I'm still hungry by the time my burrito comes, right? Have you experienced this before in your life? Now, the positive side is you can take it home and eat it for leftovers the next day. Uh, But but so often, I, I think that's kind of the image here. We're satisfied with the appetizer. And and Jesus wants to invite this man deeper into a relationship. Don't settle for the appetizer, uh, what I can do for you. But but come deeper into me and rest. And and that's the invitation that is here. Let's, Let's see how Jesus pulls at this man's heart and invites him into deeper belief. Three things here then for this last point. Uh, The first is this. Jesus invites him to let go. Secondly, to know at a deeper level. And then thirdly, to watch that belief grow. Uh, Jesus invites him to let go. Notice the the interchange here. Uh, The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, that's a pretty… Expected sort of uh, invitation from this official. This official is used to to uh, ordering people around and, and asking them to do, you know, come down. Like, that, that was kind of normal. He, he had a sense of security about who he was, what his position was. And so even though this rabbi was well-respected, he didn't have any problems sort of uh, inviting him, telling him what he needed to do. But notice how Jesus answers him. Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. There's definitely a mirroring here. The man says, come, my son will die. Jesus responds, go, your son will live. But this is in one sense even a harder response, a more difficult response than the one that he gave him earlier. You know, earlier this man is asking him, you know, con- you know, my little son is at the point of death, and Jesus says to him, you all just uh, are looking for the signs. You're not looking really for me. Uh, this time, Jesus gives him even a harder thing. He says, go, your son will live. Why is that difficult? It seems like he, he answers his question. But you see the difficulty, right? I mean, he, he has to just go. He had said, come. He had in his mind the idea of how his response would be answered. And I get this guy because I have all sorts of ideas about how God could make my life easier, better, uh, how God could answer my own prayers uh, as I pray to him. I am a lot like this guy. Uh, but But Jesus often answers us in the same way that he answers this man. He answers him, but very differently. He says, "I, I hear your prayer, your son will live, but you have to go i 'm not coming with you A- and this destroyed everything that they thought about healers, right everything that they thought about healers. They, they believed that healers had to be there. You know, we think about Elijah, Elisha laying their staff on people that they would raise from the dead, or Elijah stretching himself out on the boy. I mean, that that was the way that healers worked. And so, the idea that Jesus could heal from a distance, you know, that wasn't something that they really grappled with. Uh, so, when Jesus says, go, He really creates a a crisis for this man, and he creates a crisis for us too, because the reality is he still works in the same way. You know, he, he hears our prayers, and, and he is inclined to answer them, but, but not always in the way that we expect him. What are, what are the ways in which you are saying, come, and Jesus is answering go right now in your life? Uh, you know, is it with a job? Is it with a calling? Uh, Is it with a relationship? Uh, Is it uh, in terms of your your financial expectations? Uh, Is it with regards to a a health issue in your life? Like, you believe that if God would really answer my prayer, He would clear up this health issue, and God is saying, no, I, I want you to walk through this valley with me, I want you to experience me at a, a deeper level. You see, one of the things that we have to understand, and it, it comes through in this passage uh, a bit obliquely, but that God loves us, and, and God always has our deeper needs at, at in mind. I think about later on with, with Lazarus when he died and the, uh, the sisters send to Jesus, come for our brother is sick and he tarries there for four days. You remember that? Uh, and, and then he goes and he's dead and Jesus actually says to him, it is good for you that we waited because now we can, you can see, you will see the power of God, not just to heal the sick, but to raise the dead. Uh, Jesus can see deeper. And and we understand His love for us. We see the love that this father has for his boy. And we know, we know that God's plan was to actually come to earth to be incarnate, the second person of the Trinity, this man, Jesus, that we're talking about, and to go to the cross It doesn't make any sense to us. We think, you know, conquer Rome, be the physical Messiah, show your power. Why do you come in weakness? Why do you allow yourself to be killed? But here is another father who deeply loves his boy. Some of you know that the the Puritans called Jesus the darling of heaven. He he is the little boy to his father. And the way out of our dilemma is not through power, but it's through weakness. This man says, come. Jesus says, go. I hear your prayer, and I am working to answer it, but not exactly exactly in the way that you anticipate. So, the first thing, you know, with belief, and and this is really a passage about belief. Remember, we talked about that all through John. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You know, the first thing that we have to understand about belief is that we have to let go of our own notions of how uh, Jesus should come into our life. The whole gospel, you know, throws that upside down. It's not power. It's the giving away of power. It's weakness that, ex- that, that impresses itself, that, that succeeds uh, because it is uh, deliberately giving away of that power. The second thing that we see about belief here is that once we let go, we know. And notice, you see that there. Uh, This man goes, Capernaum, like I said, 20 miles away. Uh, This is a no Instagram, no tweeting, no text message world. So, he just simply has to start home uh, on his way with absolutely no idea uh, uh, whether what Jesus promised was going to be true or not. And we know from the text, as it was, that you know he had this conversation with Jesus at about one o'clock in the afternoon. So uh, he started back for Capernaum. He's not going to make it all 20 miles. Um, by that day, he has to stay overnight. The next day, his servants come out, and they meet him, and they say, your son is getting better. And the man is is tracking now, uh, and he says, what time was it? And they say, about the seventh hour, about one o'clock. And he says, that's it. That is exactly the moment when Jesus said he would be healed. And what do we notice about the nature of faith here? It's when we take that first step into what appears to be nothing that we find that it's actually a lot more solid than we ever thought. That there is confirmation, we know what Jesus says is true. You see, we we actually operate in this world where we believe that uh, seeing is believing, right? But the gospel is the opposite way around: believing is seeing. As this man believed, as he exercised that muscle of faith, as he believed, it was confirmed to him. He took that first step away. He had to walk. He had no idea whether what Jesus said was actually true or not. He had to put his faith in that. He had no physical confirmation. But once he did that, it was confirmed to him. And I think that you will find, and I think many of you could testify to that exact same thing, that exact same reality in your life, that once we begin to put our faith in Jesus, we find that he's got us. We find that He is actually holding us, even through those moments, even through a pandemic, even through a panic attack, even through those times when we never thought we could get through it on our own. We found out that we weren't on our own. We found out that Jesus was there, and He had never, never left us. I like the way that U2 puts it in their song, Walk On. Uh, They're talking about heaven uh, a place that has to be believed to be seen. You know, that's that's the reality of the Christian faith. We let go, and then we begin to know, and then thirdly, notice how it grows. Uh, not only did he believe, but his whole household. And I think this was part of what Jesus was after. Like, if he had gone down with this man, there was a sense in which this man could have said, I made the right call. I went to Jesus. I got Him. I got Him to come back to my house. Uh, You know, we we did the right thing, and there there is a sense of patting each other on the back, all of that, but the way that it worked out, the way that it worked out left no doubt, no doubt that that Jesus uh, was the one Who alone could answer and and, and surrendering to him is the way forward. And and what an encouragement this was, incidentally, for disciples. Uh, Disciples then, disciples now. Uh, As I said, you know, the way that people thought about uh, miracles being performed was by the physical presence of the miracle worker. I mean, we can go, we've never met Jesus. In a physical form, right? What kind of confidence do we have that Jesus now works in this world? Well, you remember that story that, uh, you know, when that man came, that Basilicos came, that royal official, and he asked Jesus to heal him, and he didn't even need to be there? And this is the type of thing that then grows as the rumor spreads and, and people begin to understand. Who it is that Jesus did. This is the sign. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He is for all people. And so the question is, my friends, and I know a lot of you have been walking with Jesus uh, for a long time, but I also know we live in a, in a world that's given us a lot of lemons. We, we live in a world in, in which we feel flat. We, we feel the anxiety building. Are we coming to Jesus? Are we allowing him uh, in all of all of his beauty, all of his vulnerability? Are we allowing him to be our Savior? And are we inviting others? I mean, this is the mission's emphasis month, right? Jesus is for all people all cultures, and He is saying, come to me. I love this piece that James Montgomery Boy, some of you know him, uh, pastor at Tenth Pres in Philadelphia for a number of years, died relatively recently. Uh, he, he, he began penning this, this welcome from Jesus, welcome from uh, the church. Others have expanded on it. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and who wonder if God even cares, to all who are weak and fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior. Anybody see themselves there yet? This church uh, opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus the mighty friend of sinners, the ally of His enemies, the defender of the indefensible, the justifier of all who have no excuses left, Jesus, the Savior of the world. we pray.